In all fairness to myself and everybody else, gosh, I wish I could have had that sense of person and in ease much earlier. And if meeting my biological beginnings is what helped get to that, the tragedy is that it took so long. The second tragedy is I'm not the only human in the world that isn't living in that space as a result of adoption. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and this is Lisa, my guest from episode 168 of Vein of Gratitude. You'll remember the first time we spoke was the night right before Lisa met her birth mother for the first time. The COVID-19 pandemic had kept them apart, but the moment was imminent that they would finally meet. The reunion went well, even though some discussion topics were closed for exploration. Afterwards, Lisa struggled with her birth mother's expressions of love and her intense desire to connect Lisa to her half-brother. Lisa had an array of reunion emotions and experiences in the year since we first spoke. Now, it's time for an update on Lisa's journey. To refresh your memory further, Lisa was grateful for the life she'd led, but she was very curious about where she had come from before her adoption. She waited a full year to submit a DNA sample that she had requested as a gift. When she finally got her results, she only watched as distant relatives' names stacked up online until one day a close match suddenly appeared and reached out to her, breaking the blockade of fear that kept Lisa from reaching out to anyone for herself. She had been scared that she would be a surprise to the people she found and that her emergence from decades in the past would be an unwelcome disruption to her birth mother. Lisa discovered she was a secret to some parts of her biological family, including one of her half-sisters and one of her birth mother's sisters, Lisa's maternal aunt, who had been overseas with her husband when Lisa was born and then placed for adoption. I first spoke with Lisa early in 2021. Our conversation you're about to hear took place nearly a full year after her maternal reunion. The last time we talked, uh, (laughs) God, this is interesting, I was in South Dakota and uh, I was in the hotel and today I'm in my home in Tennessee. Wow. Unbelievable. Almost a year before this moment. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that night before, what were you, what were you there for and what did it feel like? Well, you know, as I was preparing for for our conversation, I have to tell you that the the day before is actually a huge blur. <laughs> and I barely remember anything we talked about. I I remember being in this hotel that we stayed at uh in the breakfast nook area pacing, like literally pacing. I had so much anxiety And I was functioning at a high anxiety rate. And even after we were done with our conversation and I went up to my room, I was, I was spent. I I looked at my husband and I'm like, that was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. Even just talking to me, really? Oh my God. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, you know, we're literally, I believe if I remember correctly, it was 
barely 12 hours, maybe 15 hours before I was going to meet her. And there was a lot to that, right? A lot of ambiguity in my my history and what they were willing to tell me. And there were there were aunts coming that I didn't know how how that was going to go because we kind of got started on the wrong foot a little bit. Uh, so it was just, you know, just a lot. And then to try to march through that in my mind with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. It is a lot because when you're about to meet somebody for reunion, you don't often think, okay, let me recount the whole story in my mind before I go meet this person right now and dredge up every emotion and every twist and turn. So I could see how that was an exhausting thing to do. It was brave of you to sit down and actually share it because I remember you saying to me, you know, I don't think I'll be the same person after as I am right now before. And yeah. it took a bit of bravery to to pause and sort of capture all of your feelings then as opposed to now, almost a year later. Yeah, and there were there were some seismic shifts. And so I didn't um, misrepresent that in any way. I truly do feel very different than I than I did before. And, um, you know, just to expand on that a little bit, it is extremely humbling to actually look at people that you know share your genetic makeup. And I know you've been there. And so that just that first moment when you are seeing people for the first time that actually have some of the traits that you do and just just that alone but uh i want to i want to share a little bit about the day that we actually met and and also kind of talk through what it, what i had to do to prepare because i am one of those perfectionists i didn't want to be rejected i wanted everything to be perfect and there was so much anxiety and i couldn't have done it you know on my own that's that is for sure we went to extremes in this first meeting and by extremes i mean i had a private room reserved I took careful thought in what I was going to wear, uh, how I was going to look. I didn't want I didn't want anybody to think I looked terrible. I know that's so hard to digest, but I really just didn't want to be judged on my physical appearance immediately, and I knew I would be. I went and got gifts for people because I wanted to show them that I was serious about this meeting, that I didn't want anything from them in a monetary way because people worry about that. I, for the bio mom, I got a large, a very large bouquet of flowers and and some puzzles because that's what she enjoys doing in her spare time. And we should know it was literally the weekend before Mother's Day. And so I felt like, I felt like this was kind of a signal, like I'm, I'm just here to get to know you. And then there were to be three of her siblings, her female siblings, my aunts at the meeting as well. And so, you know, I orchestrated bouquets, smaller bouquets for all three of them as well. We catered in lunch so that nobody had to think about it. I mean, it was it was so much preparatory work wow. for the first three moments of impression that it is, in hindsight, simply astounding. Like the the measures I felt I had to go through 
to be favorably received. Wow. That's really interesting. And and I appreciate your thoughtfulness, too, in considering everybody that's going to be present. Not everybody does that. And sometimes we don't have a chance to. You know, every once in a while, an adoptee will get surprised and say, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize you were bringing your sisters, bringing your kids, you know, whatever. And so for you to be able to focus in on them was really kind of awesome. But it's interesting to hear the perfectionist piece of you that you wanted to make sure that you removed as many possible areas of criticism as you could. And I think a lot of adoptees feel some of that judgment over the course of their lives and they strive for perfectionists to be accepted by their adopted family. And it's interesting to hear how you played it out in your reunion. It was really thoughtful. I mean, I don't want anyone to have to think about a meal. I want everybody to feel like I I was thoughtful about their arrival. And and you were absolutely right, I think, too, to strive for your best appearance possible because, listen, you never get a second chance to make a first impression, and this is like the first impression of all first impressions, in my opinion. So it's really fascinating to hear how you went about this. Yeah, and again, driven by the fear of not of not making the right impression. So you're right on first impression. It's important. And I think I would caveat that with first adult impression, right? I mean, clearly in the room, two of the females that were there saw me the day that I was born, the bio mother and then one of her siblings. So that was really the first impression. (laughs) And this is the first adult impression, right? Mm -hmm. So this is like uh, a different level of of judgment and and need to feel accepted. Yeah, it was it was extremely extremely interesting. But they part of that on the adult impression is as an infant, like you have no control over how your impression goes. Or you know what I mean? You're yep. you're squealing your way into the world. You're you know peeing and pooping and grasping and struggling. And here's what we've created versus. The adult impression is much more, what have you turned yourself into, right? What have you done with this life? That can be the sort of mental hurdle that people have as as a point of judgment, I think. When you are returning as an adoptee in reunion, they want to see what you have accomplished and how you present. And, and it's, it is a first impression whether you think about it that way or not. Yeah. And I think that comes from a lot of different drivers, even on the uh, other side of this conversation from a biological perspective. You know, when relinquished, specifically in my instance, it was because the narrative was a better life, better cared for, better opportunities. And so, you know, now you're looking at this person as an adult, and that's what you want to see as that person that relinquished what did the decision that was core to my being did it come to fruition the way that it had been um, expressed to me how it had been told to me why I made that decision Lisa had set everything in motion to make the best impression possible while thoughtfully taking care of everyone's needs it had been a year of COVID quarantine in her nursing home before Lisa's birth mother even learned her daughter had found her and now the time had come for them to meet in person. Lisa and her husband were in the suite they had rented, waiting for her birth mother and aunts to arrive. It was a great moment 
were a lot of hugs, a lot of tears, and a lot more hugs. And the most notable thing for me was just her absolute reaction to have seen me for the first time. I mean, she literally lost her breath. She started crying immediately. And the sisters started crying. And and then I started crying out of empathy and overwhelmed. And I think a lot of the anxiety drained out of my body. And I mean, it was just a very physical moment as well as a mental, you know, exercise. But then after that, I I think for me, the part that was a little bit awkward was I couldn't stop staring at her. I couldn't stop looking at her and trying to find me in her. And, And I think it got to a point of, you know, uncomfortable almost because here an adult is looking at you and I couldn't take my eyes away for a very long time. That's just unbelievable. And I know exactly mm-hmm. what you mean because I was there too. When I when I met my biological mother, I can't tell you a single thing that we talked about that first day when we had lunch together, but I absolutely remember staring at this lady's face going, oh my God, I look just like you. And just, right? just searching for every little piece from skin tone to nose shape to like texture of hair and eye color and just everything. I was looking for all of it. And and it wasn't even, I wasn't conscious of it. I was just, it was just happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. You had that same kind of almost absent I, yeah. thought. It was just automatic. I did. And I would tell you that I was like, okay, I guess now my hair is going to look like that when I'm at, uh, oh, that's what my gray hair is going to look like. Oh, those are my eyebrows. Oh my gosh, we have the same, you know, lines at at our face and I have the same neckline. And I mean, it was, it was literally to that level. And it it was just, it was almost like an out-of-body experience, right? Because you just don't even know uh, what to do to prepare for that. And again, we want everything to be perfect and I overthink and I overprepare and, you know, uh, and at the same time as all of that's going on, I do remember thinking this may be the only time I ever see her. Mm. I hope it's not, but I have to memorize everything because this might be my only opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting right? point. So did yeah. you guys, I, I know you got sort of time alone as a group, but did you get moments alone with her? I did. And so, you know, after that little first, you know, intro and everybody getting to know each other and, and, you know, sopping up the tears, it was, it was equally a little bit more awkward. You know, we had to carry on some conversations and there were areas in both instances in the group and, and in a little bit of one-on-one that were no-go areas. And they were, you know, centered around my conception. There was no, no desire to talk about my labor or her labor and the birth, nor the process of relinquishment, which were all things I was interested in. Did they have any opportunity to understand my immediate placement? Like, where did I go? Because for me, that's still a very distinct gap in my life from the moment I was born to what I believe was my adoption date. I have no idea where I was. And it's hard to explain what that means. Like people are, you know, my non-adoptee friends who are along on this journey still struggle when I talk about the, what I believe to be about a six month period. And they're like, well, you were a baby, you know, what would you really remember anyway? 
Well, I don't really care what I would remember. It's the absence of the knowledge, right, that, that creates that. So that it, it was just a, probably that was maybe if there was one disappointing aspect to the reunion was the inability to talk about those things. We had to talk about things that were very, very high level. And that limited us to more or less, how did I find them, showing them all of my paperwork, and going through, you know, you know, the steps to submit a DNA, you know, if you get a lot of results and then you just have to pick through them and, and pray that you get someone that will share some information with you, right? And I think for this particular set of my, my biological family, that was a little hard to understand because, you know, not many of them, especially the ones that I met, will or would have ever submitted DNA. They had no reason to. Right. And then, you know, she, after we, we had a few moments together, I would say maybe 10, 15, where we talked on our own. It was important for her that we see each other. I believe it was the next day in, and to come see where she lived. And that afforded us a few more opportunities. But at the time she was again trying to get acclimated again to being outside in the outside world mm -hmm. and there were just a lot of things going on so it was, it was very small in terms of volume of time that we were alone together and then I think that's where she let more of her guard down and just stared at me mm -hmm. uh, trying to figure out like what are we going to talk about and what is our connection and wow, this is what she looks like. Yeah. It's interesting to hear the part about the taboo topics because I think a lot of adoptees feel like well, this reunion moment should be the door opening to the rest of the stuff, right? Now that I can see you, you're here, you're legit, you are not out for anything, just sort of seeking your truth. And to have those topics still be guarded secrets is really tough because that's like a big part of what you're looking for. And like you said, there's six months of your life that are missing. And I can understand why your non-adoptee friends aren't able to grasp that. But at the same time, nobody gets to just erase six months of your life. That's not fair. That's not cool. And it's, it's not acceptable. Yet here yeah. we are. And, you know, you remain without answers. I have a similar issue. I don't know where I was for several months of my life. And just think about that as an adult saying that. I don't know where I was for several months of my life. Just that very statement sounds absolutely crazy. And so I hope that non-adoptees will be able to try to grasp just the statement itself, let alone the meaning that you were in the care of a stranger whom you have not identified, you have no idea how well you were taken care of, what the process was, I mean, just anything. It is it is an odd feeling to have months of your life gone, regardless of what age you are. Yeah, I, I can't even add any more to that because it's, again, I call it life gap. I'm, I'm very open about that period of time. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. I, I am now focused on trying to figure that part out 
And I know that the likelihood that I'll get the answers I want are probably, you know, scarce or very, very minimal, but it is the next big adventure on this journey. Lisa's meeting with her birth mother and aunts took place on May 1st, 2021. Her birth mother had asked Lisa to return to see her again, and Lisa committed to making the return trip happen. In the time between the initial meeting and Lisa's return, she and her birth mother kept in contact, connecting at least once a week. They texted, had brief phone conversations, and Lisa sent pictures that she knew were important for her birth mother to receive. During that time, her birth mother was trying to connect Lisa to her half-brother, who was four years younger than her. Lisa said her birth mother was laser-focused on connecting her two children. It was a major driver for the second meeting in October of 2021, to the point that meeting him dictated the entire schedule for the two women to see each other again. Later, Lisa shares her suspicion about why the meeting of the two half-siblings was so important. But first, she talks about her relationship with her birth mother. As we continue to talk, she would indicate things that kind of made me feel uncomfortable and I didn't know how to process, such as, I love you. That was hard, to be to be frank, to you know, have her send me those types of messages. And it was, it was hard for me to reciprocate that type of a message. And I think she kind of saw it as us all coming together in some way. I'm not sure what she thought the end game would be, but I really think that was her intent. Like I've had this human that I have had no connection to for, you know, at that time, 49 years. And I have this other child, adult child, who I raised, and for a year and a half, I was in isolation, and those are my two anchors in this world, and I want now my two anchors that I've, you know, the one that just reconnected and this one to meet, and I want them to bond for the long term, Mm -hmm. and I really think that's where she was driving. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was a very interesting, it was a very difficult visit. It was a very difficult visit. She wasn't, she wasn't in a good mental place, I think. She wasn't in a good physical place, physical health place. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody realized uh, where she was on that day. She was highly agitated and and it came out. And it was, there was a lot of, angst. I don't know if she was anxious for us to to meet or she wanted to choreograph how it happened. And because we were scheduling this whole entire visit around him, it became very complicated because he he wasn't reliable to the schedule. And so I think that contributed. You know, it was just by example, you know, oh we're gonna meet on this day, we're all gonna go to lunch be here by this time. You're going to meet so-and-so. We're going to spend time together. If we need to, we can go back to the assisted living. It lets two people in so the three of us can be together, you know, and on and on and on. And starting at 8.30 in the morning until he finally arrived at like 7.30 at night, it was just this ongoing set of delays. That's really tough. Yeah. it's That's annoying because you're, you've got this anticipation then that has been created by her to meet him, but he's moving the target. And so it's introducing anxiety into 
this situation that already had some in it, it's it's amplifying it, it sounds like. So go ahead and tell me a little bit about how you actually connected and, and, and what, it, what it ended up being like. Because you said she was really agitated, and, and I'm wondering how he was. Did he feed off of her? Did you feed off of her? Tell me how that meeting went. So in fairness to all of us, because I think it's important to do that, we are in two different economic brackets. Uh, that's important because the delays on his part really weren't intentional or intentional to the extent of I'm trying to make this process more difficult than I can. But I don't really believe that's what he was doing. And so with that said, I think she didn't know how to handle the the need that she had, the delays that he was creating because he had to work and, and the day just went longer than he had anticipated. And looking at me and knowing I'm just sitting here waiting, right? Right. Uh, so there, you know, as, a, as the day wore on, because she was so agitated and, and she was visibly upset. I mean, at lunch, it was, it was a terrible lunch. It was an awful lunch. Everybody that was there said it was an awful lunch because she was so agitated and she, you know, became a little bit more vocal and <laughs> loudly so. And it just made everybody that was at lunch uncomfortable. And so we couldn't wait to end lunch. Everybody but me left because of that. They, they just couldn't address the the situation they know her better than uh, you know than i do and they knew they had to go or she would just continue to escalate so i put all of that in context and i think it's the fair statement because you know as this person you know i have my own anxiety issues and i understand them more now i can only imagine what it's like to try to balance this out and be at your age and addressing some health problems that you weren't talking about. So, you know, I kind of put that in context, but because it continued to delay and it was getting so long in the day, I actually was dismissed. (laughs) And I mean, I was dismissed. It was like, you need to go to your hotel uh, and I'll just tell him to meet you there. Like, okay, I guess I'll do that. Right. So she was, she was just at the end of her emotional uh, capability to handle it as well. Like, just go. You know, so I left. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I just quickly on that, I'm imagining the two of you, you are her daughter, and you have expressed your own level of perfectionism. And if you got that from her, and this situation is not unfolding the way that she had planned, her perfectionism is going out the window. And that if that is true, that would be very challenging. I mean, can you imagine if you had orchestrated your meetup and it wasn't unfolding in the ways that you wanted it to? There were scheduling delays and food problems. and You know what I mean? Like how yeah. agitated perhaps you might have been. And can you see how maybe she was in a similar position with her own level of hopes for perfectionism too, perhaps? I do. And so I'm going to go ahead and fast forward a little bit. And if we want to circle back at some point and talk or just touch on the meeting with the brother, we can, because um, I think it, it has a little bit of a applicability, but it drives how she was. And I can relate to that. 
But I also know she wasn't in good health and she wasn't telling anybody. And so in hindsight, I would tell you she was in a significant amount of pain and she was also trying to manage that. So we can fast forward to the end of that visit. I did not get a chance to see her again. Uh, I was supposed to see her the next day. She was still extremely angst up and she just she just didn't want to see me. And so I respected that. I mean, what can I do? And I, I just knew that the whole day before had really set her into a, a different mind space. Lisa's husband wasn't able to make the trip to see her birth mother. So she asked her adopted brother to travel to the town and be her emotional support. After a long, intense day of unexpected delays, and her half-brother did eventually meet. She said it was a little awkward as they were just kind of like, okay, here we are. She and her brother went to dinner, then went back to Lisa's hotel and sat in the lobby. Lisa's adopted brother came over and met her bio half-brother too. She said when the half-sibling meeting finally happened, the forced focus on the man left their connection kind of anticlimactic. Lisa was irritated with his appearance 12 hours after they initially agreed to meet, and she was disappointed by her birth mother's attitude and behavior during their visit. The next morning, Lisa went to the airport for an early flight out. Before her plane took off, Lisa's birth mother called her to talk, apologize for her behavior, and to tell Lisa she loved her. She told Lisa she was glad she had made the trip to see her again. It was a 10-minute conversation, one of their longest. Lisa caught her flight and went home to Tennessee. It was at this point that Lisa forewarned me the next part was emotional for her. About three weeks later, I get a phone call from one of the sisters and she says, I need you to know she's in the hospital and she's not doing well. I'm like, what are you talking about? We just were together, all of us, three weeks ago. And she goes, it's, it's not good. She gives me all of the details. I'm like, I really don't think I understand. I don't really understand what's going on. This just doesn't add up. I've been, you know, I've been adjacent to healthcare. My father-in-law is a paramedic. My husband is in emergency management, public safety, call-taking, dispatching. I'm in the industry. All the things you're saying just aren't really matching up right now. Our, our friends are all nurses, doctors, you know, something that just doesn't jive here. And the story didn't change. She was in the hospital for about a week. There were regular updates probably about every other day. She's not improving. She, she called a few days. I think she was in the hospital four days at that point. Her sister called. She really wants to talk to you. And I said, okay. And she goes, it's hard for her to talk. She doesn't have a lot of lung capacity. And I'm like, okay. And I knew what was coming. I, I, you just had this, like, this extreme sense of she's calling to tell me goodbye. And that's what she was doing. So two days later, I don't get an update. It was very, I just had this, I was sitting at my desk and I was working and I, uh, I just had this weird sense something wasn't right. And so I did a group text to all of the sisters and uh, I think it was like at 930 in the morning. 
And I said, you know, I haven't heard from anybody in about 24 hours. How's, how's she doing? And uh, immediately I got, it's not good. We're on our way to the hospital. We'll let you know when we get there. And I go, I, I don't know what that means. What does it mean? It's not good. And so the sister that was at the hospital is like, she's letting go. She won't, she won't wear the oxygen. And the doctor says if she doesn't put the oxygen on, she, she'll go probably within a few hours. I'm like, what are we talking about? Like, how is this humanly possible? She had pneumonia, right? Like, what is the, what is the deal here? And so the half-brother calls me. And he says, mom's dying. And I said, you need to call her. You, she's not listening to anybody else. She needs to put the oxygen on. I just don't understand what this is. This is making no sense to me. And it was very surreal. And so he, he tries to call her and she refuses to talk to him. And in that moment, we both know that she's just not going to listen to anybody. And 30 minutes later, we get a message that she's passed away. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry, Lisa. I think what made it difficult was just knowing that the last visit was so hard and so um, difficult to work through. And the mood was wrong. And it, and she was off, and everybody was trying to accommodate that. And I, I really think she knew then. I really think she knew something was not right with her health-wise. And that's why it was so important for her that we meet. And then when it wasn't going her way, there were delays, and she was, you know, dealing with whatever she was dealing with which was a lot of pain, physical pain, not just the pneumonia part. I think it just was all kind of coming to a head for her. Yeah. It would seem like if she knew her time was short and these delays are happening in a meeting that has a finite time for it to happen, you're in town for the weekend and you, she needs you to meet her other son if she knows her time is short, that probably felt like an eternity while she was in pain as well. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. I'm. Gosh, I'm so sorry. That was... And you're right. I've, I'm thinking about how the last meeting ended. It was sour. And that's not how you want things to end at all, regardless if end of life is what's coming next. But right. the fact that it did, it came on the heels of that last sour experience. I, I'm sure that is really, really just an unsettling feeling to know that that's how things sort of ended. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I mean, if it, October 9th to November 11th, that was the interval of time. And so many unanswered questions, right? She was, yeah, just so many unanswered questions. And, and I mean... Had I had I picked up a little bit more on some of that, I might have pressed for some of those answers, knowing. But I don't. I don't know her, and didn't know her like everybody else did, and so I couldn't. I couldn't make an assessment on is this health related? Is this? 
is this mental? Is this, you know, irritation because of the situation? So, you know, I kind of sat there and just let things happen because what else are you going to do as an adoptee who's looking at someone that is your biological parent and you are not equipped to who they are? You didn't grow up with them. You don't know the signals as you do with the parent you grew up with, right? That's exactly right. You don't know enough to pick up on what's an undercurrent that you should pick up on because it's a new relationship and that makes it really, really tough. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And of course the people around her probably sensed it, but your relationship with her was so new that I can see how it would be really tough for them to pull you aside and say, listen, something's wrong with your mom. I've not seen her like this before and I think it's really bad. Like, can you imagine how challenging it would be in your reunion? You guys are brand new to each other again. If they did pick up on it, I'm sure they probably struggled with, how are we ever gonna tell her this in this moment that's supposed to be happy for the two of them? You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, very, a very difficult situation, you know, no doubt about it. Lisa made the return trip to South Dakota for her birth mother's burial. It gave her an opportunity to connect more deeply with some other parts of the family she met. Solidifying their connection was an investment in their long-term relationships. It was important for me to go to say my goodbyes. It was important for me to go so that they remembered that I am still part of this biology. And on my maternal side, they have embraced me and have accepted me and think of me as family. And I didn't want them to think that just because she had passed, I wasn't still interested in getting to know who they were as well. That's great that you did that because, you know, people love or hate the word closure, but it does bring some level of finality and sort of it allows you to to touch the beginning to the end and and close the loop on what has been this introduction into the family and and now you guys get to go forward together and i'm glad that they've been accepting that's that's good to hear yeah. but yeah, i realize as uh, you say that your maternal family has been accepting we haven't even talked about your paternal family at all have you made a connection there at all those are all sibling connections Mm-hmm. And you've said the same yeah, well, connections are really tough. Yeah. So, you know, without, without getting into another full hour of discussion on that one, <laughs> 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 because it is a full hour of discussion, yeah. uh, I do have three half siblings. They are females. I am close to one of them. We've forged a, an amazing relationship. And, the rest, it's outside the bounds of anything that I think will happen in the future. Who knows? I might change my mind, but at this point in time, I'm pretty much digging in my heels and I don't see a lot of any activity proceeding forward. Now, aside from that, I think I had shared previously, and if I didn't, uh, then this is the good point to do so. My, you know, my biological father is deceased. He has a reputation. He cannot defend his reputation. So, unfortunately, I'm left with the reputation. I'm left with what I pieced together on my own. 
I'm left with what uh, the siblings have shared. I'm left with what little, very little bit the maternal side will share, which is, I've, you know, I found is very common. And we're just in the, we're just in the state of, I know who you are. I understand the biology, the science, and we probably won't have very many relationships. Aside from the siblings, there are no family members on the paternal side that have any interest in even making contact. Wow. That's unfortunate. Well, it kind of solidifies his reputation. Yeah. <laughs> I is mean, it, at the end of the day. Is it a reputation for philandering or is it something else? It's a little bit more serious than that. Okay. And again, he's not around to defend himself, but it is a reputation of potential pedophilia and and, and sexual assault. I understand. You're right. He's right. not here to defend himself, but I hear you that it's going to be tough to get them to come around based on that reputation that lives beyond his life, post-mortem. That's how he's potentially known, and that's really tough to to be a part of, to be associated with, to try to connect with people over, like beyond, right? Yeah. Yep. I'm sorry. That's yeah. so hard. Yeah. It's the cards that are dealt and we're just going to have to work through them. But, you know, when you, when you are sitting on different sides of that conversation, one of, you know, one side of that conversation is two of us are a product of the, of the reputation mm-hmm. and to the fine line of a product of that reputation and have a very different history than, you know, so we're, we're literally that way divided. The, the sister that I have a relationship with was also relinquished for adoption. She is six years older than I am. So she knows her history. She actually is a product of pedophilia. Mm. And so she knows that. And then I believe to be the product of sexual assault. The one after the one after me, I don't think that's the story. I believe that her mom actually dated him and they were in a relationship for a pretty good click of time. And then the last one, her mom and 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 the uh, biological father were also in a relationship for a good majority of her life. And she was raised by him. She always knew he was her father. So that puts, that puts us all in a very difficult space because you have two of us that were maybe in his early days, whatever, however you want to put that. And then you have two of us that don't understand how the two older siblings were created and the impact that has. Right. 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 And it creates drama. I mean, frankly, that's just the the root of it. It creates drama. I'm sure. Yeah. That does not sound easy at all. Yeah. I mean, I can't even fathom and I'm sorry that that is something that you have to try to even think through. That's really tough. Um, If you don't mind, I'd like to close with the, how we started, which is you said that you're different now than you were before reunion. And especially now hearing the facts of how everything has unfolded. Can you tell me a little bit, how would you describe yourself before reunion and how do you describe 
yourself now that you've been through all of these things? There are so many things about me and about my behavior, about the things that I have um, encountered in life that I just did not understand. Nuances, relationships, thought process, fear of abandonment and anxiety are just probably the ones that I, I click off. And now I have answers, you know, taking out the life gap component that I didn't have before that helped me understand some of those things about me that I could never just quite, quite get. And so I feel more settled as a human. I don't feel as anxious. I don't feel like I'm living in this space of constantly monitoring everything that everyone does to ensure that I don't upset them. And I don't remember much of my childhood unless someone tells me about it because I compartmentalize so effectively. <laughs> and, and because I grew up as many adoptees with that unknown aspect of, I don't want to upset somebody. And so having a more settled mentality, truly understanding some of those aspects, it just, it's making life a little bit easier. And in all fairness to myself and everybody else, gosh, I wish I could have had that sense of person and in ease much earlier. And if meeting my biological beginnings is what helped get to that, the tragedy is that it took so long. The second tragedy is I'm not the only human in the world that isn't living in that space as a result of adoption. That is really well said. And it's interesting to hear the sense of grounding and self that you've gotten, despite some of the things that you've said, how tumultuous parts of this reunion have been, how disappointing not getting some information has been, how challenging it was to make connections with certain people. And then of course, the history on your biological father's side, still, the journey, it sounds like has brought you for a lack of better words, some peace and understanding. And it's just, this is a testament to how important the journey to reunion can be for people. In my opinion, you've, you've expressed it right here that after all of this, you still feel that things about your life have been explained and that you feel grounded. Lisa said, when she started her journey years ago, there weren't nearly as many resources available for adoptees to feel less alone and more connected as there are today. She credited this and many other podcasts and books among the things that have helped her get by. Lisa decided she needed to talk about her own adoption and reunion journey more, so she launched her own podcast called The Wandering Tree. I had to start talking about it. Good. I had to start getting some of it off of off of me and i know you understand that aspect as absolutely. well right absolutely absolutely we all are here to help adoptees not feel alone as you've indicated you did to help adoptees understand the wide variability of nuance in an adoptee journey 
and to just support each other, tell each other's stories. The storytelling is so incredibly important. I was just talking with someone recently about this, the fact that there are so many resources out there now. You know, there's podcasts focused on Asian adoptees and South American and, you know, Europe and all kinds of variations of, of culture and geography and things like that. You know, African-Americans and, and mine is very sort of broad brush. Point being, like, we all need different pieces of the story to be told in different ways to help us understand all of the possible outcomes and what everyone else is going through so that we don't feel alone. And so I I love that you're able to find connection through this show and other shows and through other medium, whatever you're reading and starting your own show, I think is fantastic because everyone's going to pull something different from a different place. And these are stories that have remained untold for so many years. There are so many adoptees that have never written a book, never been on a podcast, never done a YouTube channel, and their story will only be told in their small circle. And there's so many people that could benefit from it. I'm really glad that there are a lot of people out here in this space, and, and I'm glad that you've, you've joined us. You know, it's been quite the interesting journey. It didn't, it didn't, I'll share this because you'll, I know you understand this part too. I didn't intend to like just jump in. And one day my husband and I were talking and we're like, he's like, enough, Lisa, we're getting started. I'm connecting everything up and we're just going to start talking because that's the point. You're just going to talk. And, and it was like a therapy session, right? So everybody's watching or listening to my therapy and, and, Part of what I want to do is if I touch one person, I'm good, right? I don't even need to know. I don't even need to know that I touched one person. And I think that's important for people to understand. I don't need to know that. But I just want to help one person because you did that for me. You were you were the first. You were you touched me. And I know you hear that on a on a regular, but it is the truth. And I just want to be able to do that as, as well. And so I talk about and talk with my non-adoptee friends about their experience watching me go through this journey or how some of the things that I do, they don't understand. And so we're getting, uh, that's kind of where I'm going. If it goes for a year, great. If it goes longer than that, so be it. Mm -hmm. If I'm done in a few more weeks, that's that's good too. I love right? that. Yeah, absolutely. The the idea if I can just touch one person is so incredibly important and valuable because you don't know who needs to hear what you're doing or why. You have no idea why they need it. You don't know what they need from you. So just keep going. And I love that you said you've been interviewing some of the people around you that have watched you go through this that are non-adoptees, because that's an important perspective that I don't think I've actually heard before, is people interviewing those who are around the constellation of adoption. I think we think of, you know, birth mothers, adoptees, adoptive parents, you know, siblings, and sort of the, the people who put adoption together and hold it together as being the constellation, but there's folks on the outside who watch what we go through and say, hey, I was really worried about you when that happened, or I was hoping you would do that because I was concerned that you weren't feeling fulfilled in the following way. Like hearing their observation of your life from the outside is also valuable because that is the opinion that many of the people around me and my other adoptee friends are also feeling, expressing, and seeing. So 
I love that you're doing that. That's really cool. So wandering tree. I'm going to look you up. That's wandering really tree. Awesome. Can you just tell me what does the wandering tree mean? Well, that's that's a great <laughs> that's a great uh, question. So I tried to figure out like what what has my life been and it has been wandering, right? You know, growing up wanting to know where my roots are, wanting to know the branches of my family tree, how deep are they, you know, how are they intertwined? And there are like three aspects of this that we could literally spend another four hours talking about, which are how intertwined were my biological family and my adoptive family, believe it or not. There are layers of each, they knew each other. Wow. So, so there's that, you know, just talking about how deep and how wandering my relationships are with the people that I was raised with, you know, those types of things. When you pull that all together, that tree goes all over. And so that's how we landed on Wandering Tree. I love that. That's really awesome. Cool, Lisa. I'm glad you're doing that. And I'm glad you were here with me today. This has been really fascinating. I mean, just to hear how much you've been through in the year almost since we talked. I know, right? I didn't expect that you were going to say all of these. I mean, I should just stop trying because I, I sometimes I find myself just thinking I know where this is going. And every daggone time, I'm just like, wait, what? And you got me I know. again. It's really unbelievable. And I'm glad that you're created an outlet for yourself and your own therapy and that you've taken a stand on some of the relationships in your life that you realize are potentially not going to be super healthy and you know you're digging your heels into to keep people where they need to be so that you can be where you need to be it's it's really incredible so thanks for being here lisa yeah i appreciate it and if you ever decide you want to be a guest that door is open oh my god i know you're, you're busy so kind thank you i'd love to at any time yep. let's do it i look forward to that all right, I'll reach out in, a, in a, a few weeks and let's see what we can set up. And if you can get anyone that you want that is on your outer sphere of non-adoptee support to participate, that would be fantastic too. Really cool. Great idea. All right, very good. I appreciate it, Lisa. You take care. Have a great weekend. All right, all the best. You too. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you. Bye. Hey, it's me. In just one year, Lisa's story evolved so much from where I left her in 2021. She went from eager anticipation for meeting her birth mother after a year in quarantine to planning the intricacies of reunion day with flowers, food, and emotions. Lisa suffered a big loss when her birth mother passed away, and I was sorry to hear that their last face-to-face -face interaction was so rough. But Lisa now knows her birth mother was in pain and she was beside herself, tying up loose ends before she left this life. Lisa's two-part journey is an example of how life goes on for all of us, and when you hear our story at a moment in time, the tale we tell is only as current as that moment. In one year, Lisa's life changed a lot. I hope you'll keep that in mind as you listen to other adoptee journeys. You can listen to Lisa's new podcast, The Wandering Tree, anywhere you get your favorite podcasts, Information about the show is available at wanderingtreeadoptee.com. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in Lisa's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I really? Really?